The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello again, Internet family. This is the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And my guest this morning is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi. You may or may not have heard that name before. I know I did before I got uh, an email from his team. But Dr. Balduzzi is the Fit Father Project founder and owner. He holds dual degrees in neuroscience and nutrition from the University of Pennsylvania. He's a doctorate in naturopathic medicine and a former natural bodybuilding champion. Emphasis on the word natural there. I like that. <laughs> and of course, the Fit Father Project. Fit Father Project um, has helped thousands upon thousands of men, older men, 40 and above, to reach their optimal health and to look better and feel better. Dr. Balduzzi, thank you for coming on. Really happy to be here. Good. I'm happy to have you on here. So, you know, Fit Father, obviously, you know, a lot, I think a lot of the, the men who watch, who listen to this program, probably are fathers. I am myself. Mm-hmm. And this year I crossed over to 40 years old. So anything having to do with making older men, men who are not, you know, 20 years old, <laughs> fitter and healthier, I'm all about. So yeah. this is kind of, let's start from there. Let's start from uh, right where you're at here. So talk to us about the Fit Father Project. For sure. Well, I mean, it's something that I've been working on for over a decade now. And the reason I got inspired to help um, guys over 40 well before I was 40 myself um, is because growing up, I basically watched my dad work himself to the bone. He got very sick and he died when he was 42 and I was nine years old at the time. So to witness that at such a young age kind of rocked my world and it taught me some life lessons at a young age. And one of those was I realized that health was the foundation of pretty much everything we love. And despite the fact that we need to provide and work, we need to find a way to balance our health, to invest in our fitness and all that stuff. So that's what really got me into fitness from a young age is responding to my dad's passing. I I wanted to get strong. I wanted to get fit. I wanted to start to exercise. And that was kind of my way of of figuring out how to heal myself. That took me into a lot of like competitive athletics, personal training, eventually bodybuilding. And then when I got interested in getting more into medicine, I saw people all the time coming into clinic that were just like my dad, you know, wanting to be healthier, but struggling to find a way to make it all work. So I wanted to try to find solutions to kind of bridge in what I'd learned from bodybuilding and fitness, combining that with naturopathic medicine and psychology and neuroscience to create a sustainable way for healthy living over 40. And that's the Fit Father Project. And it's helped thousands of guys. And I love what I do. So that's the really short version of well, how it, how it got here. Well, how old are you now? You say you, you were, you were, you were at, at 40. I'm, yeah. I'm in my, no, I'm not 40 yet. I'm okay. in my mid thirties. I have a daughter okay. too. So it's, it's getting pretty real, but I'll tell you this, like, despite not being 40 yet, man, I made I did made some series of ego based decisions about things I did with my body in my twenties that led to like six, seven surgeries. So I have a, I have a body that is a lot older than maybe the revolutions around the sun. We can say that. <laughs> so you you were you got into bodybuilding um and you did emphasize natural bodybuilding i think that's kind of important here too because bodybuilding itself industry-wide has gotten a pretty uh negative uh reputation um 
Well, I guess what I guess I want to know what your thoughts are on that are. I don't want to digress too far yeah, off sure. the map here. So, I mean, because and I've commented on this before here too. Like, obviously, like especially as a guy, you know, bodybuilding has a lot of appeal. I mean, you build mm -hmm. a lot of muscle, and then you you show that you have <laughs> you have a lot of muscle mass, and you know, I think naturally guys want more muscle but then mm -hmm. bodybuilding has taken this concept this desire this kind of i think built in you uh innate yeah. desire to really build your body and to look aesthetically pleasing is taking it and it has become something i think very negative and dangerous too because we've heard in several years now about bodybuilders many of whom are not even 50 years old that mm -hmm. are just kind of plopping dead Mm -hmm. And it's another, and it's becoming just a big graveyard. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's certainly happening. I mean, the drugs over the last probably 10, 15 years have gotten harder. People Now with the advent of social media, I think social media has like sensationalized what used to be a pretty like niche sport. Like, you know, less than 20 years ago, people in Gold's Gym, you know, they were mm -hmm. taking testosterone, maybe some oral D-ball and some stuff like that. But it's nothing to the extent that we have now, designer peptides, higher dose drugs, social media where we can all like compare and, and go harder, bigger, faster. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of gotten crazy. Uh, it really has. I, I think from what you said is it is a natural desire for all of us to have a better body. And I, I think a lot of times, especially when people are start to get serious about bodybuilding in their teens and their 20s and maybe even into their 30s, you just don't have the foresight to realize that the short-term decisions you're making have long-term consequences. And oftentimes those consequences from these drugs are in the internal organs, right? It's the heart, it's the kidneys, mm -hmm. it's the liver. These are not right. things that you can see immediately until you come back and you have problems. And also when these things like high blood pressure, lots of issues with the heart become kind of like normalized for people, uh, it, it's tough, man. I mean, I, I guess we're all here to have our own journeys and to, um, and to choose to make the decisions we want with our bodies and then to bear the consequences of those decisions. It is kind of sad when young kids are being pushed to a specific kind of standard now, like you know, kids in their teens and athletics are looking up to guys that have been on steroids for, you know, 10 years and have been training for 20 more years than them. So it creates uh, definitely a little bit of a psychology thing here that, that can be mm -hmm. problematic. Um, you know, natural bodybuilding and bodybuilding in general is not like it's, it, you know, natural bodybuilding can be healthier, but it's still not like a healthy pursuit per se. You know, it can be done, you know, natural bodybuilders probably have the best chance to be healthy because it's year round focus on good nutrition, good training, supplementation, sleep recovery. Um, but just because you're a bodybuilder does not mean you're athletic. It doesn't mean you can explode. doesn't mean you can move. doesn't mean you have great mobility. So, um, I have a, definitely a, a, a vast and more bigger perspective of what fitness means now that I'm not a bodybuilder. And the way I trained back then to maximize muscle mass is not how I approach training or would suggest anyone train now, but it is valuable exercise to go deep into seeing how far you can push your body aesthetically. Like that's inherently valuable to be like, man, I got ripped that one time. That was amazing. Yeah. And I kind of know how to get back there. So how do you train your clients now? So when you have men that come to you and now obviously you work with older men and they mm -hmm. have families and, you know, they're 40, 50 years old here. They don't have the same level of testosterone that they had when, sure. they were, when they were 19. Um, but, you know, again, built into us, even in a more advanced age, is the desire to just look really dang good. Mm -hmm. So... You know, they still want to get shredded for whatever that really means when you're 50 years old. Yeah. So how do you work with them now? For sure. Well, I think like I contrast it to maybe like traditional bodybuilding training, which separates cardio and strength training, oftentimes uses more specialized splits. 
and sometimes not always, but a lot of volume per body part. And like, that's just not a practical or even the most effective approach for guys who are older. I think you mentioned the testosterone I and mean, that's certainly part of the picture, but what I can just attest to whether it's testosterone or different kinds of hormone outputs is like our recovery capacity goes down as we get older, like, which means it takes longer to recover from a training session, which means like to have a really good effect, you don't need to train as frequently. Mm. Like you can hit it like a couple times per week with some good strength training exercise and be in good shape. You know, there's many ways to split it, but like basically one of the key philosophies we do when guys come to us for help is unless you're at like your good ideal body fat range, you know, unless you're actually like lean, which we imply means you're also pretty insulin sensitive and you have a good level of fitness. We try to work on the leanness first and keep the muscle building, the pure muscle building focus as a little bit of a secondary. And that's not to say you can't do them simultaneously as a part of a, a recomposition. You certainly can. But this is a long roundabout way to say I like metabolic resistance training as a, a kind of like doing weight training motions that we need to be strong at the swings, the squats, the shoulder press, bench, rows, like these kinds of things and getting them in a little more of a circuit fashion so that in a 45 minute, 50 minute workout, you can get a full body session in that's working functional range of motion in these key motions, some strength and some cardio all in one. And if you do like this kind of metabolic resistance training, like two, three times a week paired with healthy diet and walking and good hydration and maybe some supplementation, man, you can change your body so, so fast. Now, when it comes to traditional strength training, when guys are at goal weight, I'm a big fan of full body training splits um, in certain aspects. I'm a big fan of upper lower training splits. I'm not as much of a fan of, you know, really, really specialized body part training. I think it works really well if you're with a trainer in person and you, you're doing something like where you have a lot of guidance and you have someone who's designed a really good program. But the, the fact is like, we're here to stimulate and then get out and then recover and grow. And you can do that in a couple sessions per week. You don't need to be sl slamming it all the time. And then I guess it, it comes down to building programs around joint friendly motions. Like you just got to find the motions that work really well for your joints and work around any limitations you may have for you. Plus this often means a lot of dumbbell work versus barbells. Although, you know, certainly doing squats and deadlifts, if that works for your body is still great. Um, and just really keying in on the motions that feel really good for you. Um, and then working on getting stronger around those. So the principles don't change. I think the margin for error goes down. Exercise selection becomes more important and you don't have to train quite as frequently. But I, I do still believe high intensity is great um, as long as it's done in a safe manner. So it's kind of more built around the idea of the kind of like the uh, the uh, Mike Metzger kind of idea of strength training where, you, where you're like, like where it's kind of like uh, you're not you're not spending these hours on hours in the gym. You're not working you know, again and again and again, again, you know, throughout the course of the week, you hit it once really hard, you find the right stimulus that provides the muscle what it needs. And yeah. then you move on that kind of thing. Oh, well, I think like Mike Menser was like, definitely was a big influence in, in a lot of my thinking. And for those who don't know, this is like a guy who was a big pioneer of really high intensity training. I mean, we're right. talking like you take one or two sets to failure and what failure for Mike means is like absolutely grueling agony. Yeah. And then you're done with that body part, maybe for a whole five, six days, you know, and you train again. Um, I'm not, I don't think that most people need to go quite that intense, although that, that method does certainly work, but yes, the, the philosophy that we're here to stimulate and then get out and allow the recovery to happen is definitely core and foundational. Now, for example, like one of our muscle building plans that we love, and this is for guys who are already lean enough is full body training three times a week. So Mike Menser would hate that. 
he would say you want to do that maybe like once or twice a week optimally, not that third times is bad for the gains. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, that would be his philosophy. I would say that like, but I love the idea of taking the normal volume. Like let's say that in your teens or twenties, you would do a chest workout that would have like four or five exercises for three to four sets a piece. Like that's like 20 sets of volume. I'm saying take the, take like 15 sets of volume and spread it throughout the week. Like mm. give three pulses of five sets so that you're getting stimulus because there is a in concept and training of like effective volume. Like, not every set that you do is going to give you the same marginal benefit. You know, as you get deeper into a workout and you've already like really stimulated a muscle, additional sets are not giving you that much more muscle growth. They are creating more inroad to your recovery. So my concept is like our recovery capacity is a little bit lower. So like let's pulse every time we train too, we get this anabolic response that happens where the body tries to recover from this. And we get that, that window of upregulation of protein synthesis, hormone changes, all this stuff for like three, four days afterwards. So if we could just do pulses of vol smart volume, you're in great shape. So, I mean, from a, like a, like a busy, a really busy 50 year old guy who's already in decent shape, who wants to build muscle on a minimal plan could probably honestly do full body training twice a week and do about five sets, five to six sets per body part per, per training session. That training session would probably take an hour. That's two hours of training it would have amazing stimulus. Now on the other days, walking, doing any kind of stretching mobility work, doing some light cardio, maybe even throwing a hit day of some sort, doing some high intensity interval training, all great stuff. You don't have to train this way. I'm just saying it's a viable option. And many people over 40, it's not just that the body's older. It's also they feel busy. They got families and stuff like this. And I'm just trying to say is like, you can make it all work. You don't have to spend a lot of time, but you do need to know what you're doing. You can't just go around into like Planet Fitness and like run the machine rack and think that you're going to be crushing it, right? It needs to be like solid exercise selection, good understanding of training fundamentals, like progressive resistance, volume changes over time. And like, that's what, it's good to follow a, a proper training plan. I think the important messages here is that you can be uh, very um, flexible with how with how you train. You can yeah. kind, and you can kind. You have a lot of wiggle room in which you don't have to really, you know, you don't have to feel like you're stuck or put into one silo or another. You can actually play around with things. I do this all the time, and mm -hmm. I emphasize this to the people I work with: is that I play around with things a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. I. You know, I will go, I just did this yesterday for just random. I decided to go out and I did a, you know, kind of a breezy run around this park we have. It's about three, you know, it's a figure eight, goes about three miles around. And then at some point I decided to go off in this grassy area and do wind sprints. I can't remember the last time I did yeah. that. I was kind of impressed. I was, yeah. I was. I was doing them and yeah. it felt good. And I felt like I was pretty much flying nice. you know, for, for a 40 year old guy that I, I didn't yeah. feel like I felt pretty dang good. Nice. Now, I, I kind of feel a little bit today, but it's not, it's not like yeah. keeping me from moving around, but yeah, you know, it's just really like a, a playground of, of different ideas. Do you find mm -hmm. it that way too? Do you kind of get inspiration from that? Heck yeah, for sure. And I think like, well, I'll, I'll say this too. I think we can all benefit from doing more, exercise that feels a little bit more like play and exploration mm -hmm. and stuff outside. Very, very good. The more we can do that, it's just good for our mental well-being as well. 
And yeah, I mean, we're here to play with different training splits. Sometimes you're really motivated to hit it hard in the gym following a specific thing. Sometimes you're maybe going to be more outside doing some push-ups, calisthenics. Yeah, flow with it for sure. Based on your schedule, your desires, your interests, there are many training splits that work. And it kind of segues me to another important point that I love to bring up is like, if you're over 40 and you want to have a body that looks great, it's probably 75% nutrition. Like mm. in terms of like actually maintaining a low body fat and high level of energy, you know, the training, like it's a stimulus, but the nutrition is what really creates the body composition in a massive way. So it's like, that's the highest leverage point to focus on. If you want to look a certain way after 40, I mean, you do need to do some kind of exercise, um, but nutrition is like, is almost everything. Right. So on that topic here, because nutrition is the thing that kind of hamstrings a lot of people and it's mm -hmm. what a lot of people really struggle with. And I know I have too, and I think I'm pretty good about how I eat. Mm -hmm. um, I, I probably do some things that a lot of people would probably frown on, um, but not much. Uh, I'm pretty good about monitoring my, my sugar intake for the most part. I think mainly I think because I don't drink pop at all. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't for, I can't remember the last time I drank a pop, honestly. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where a lot of people really get stuck in here. It's the liquid sugars that they are yes. constantly ingesting here. Um, but as far as like nutrition, like how, how do you approach that with people? Because I know you have a degree in nutrition, which I mm -hmm. think as a, as a, uh, as, as a, a doctor here, that kind of sets you apart because I don't think very many really understand nutrition very all that well, or haven't studied it all that mm -hmm. closely here. So how do you work with nutrition with your clients? For sure. I think nutrition is like, we all kind of have a general sense of what foods are healthy and what foods are not. Right. It's more about like behaviors. It's about habits and about, I'd say having a system. So the way I like to approach nutrition is like helping people design structure that works for them specifically. Um, and I think that all starts with picking your meal timing. Like, when do you eat? Like, let's start with like the overall scaffolding. Like for some people, it's the classic breakfast, lunch, afternoon, snack, and dinner. For some people, it's intermittent fasting. Some people work schedules that are weird and crazy, like night shift, third shift, and they need to have like something that, that fits like a variable schedule plan. But I think first off, you decide when you're going to eat because just that simple act of saying, these are the times that I eat, uh, creates a proactive meal timing schedule. And I think a lot of people get in trouble when they're reactive and they don't know what to do. The next thing, once you understand like a little bit of the timing structure, let's, let's just go with the, for the purpose of discussion, breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner is like a, a classic plan. Breakfast at eight, lunch at noon, snack at three, dinner at six, something like that. I'm a big believer that when it comes to nutrition success, because it's a lot of this is psychology and habit formation that we need to balance consistency, like having similar meals often, because it's easy to dial that in with variety, because we can't just have the same stuff all the time. It would totally suck. And I believe that the first couple meals of the day are our opportunity to be super consistent, like standardize your breakfast. Like, I don't think there's really a reason for people not to have like a dialed in breakfast most of the time, because it's a time we're getting up. We typically have stuff to do with the day. If you have kids, you're getting them ready. If you have work, you're trying to get out the door. And we know in the morning we need stuff. Or if we're going to eat in the morning, we want like stuff that's going to give us energy that we don't have to think a lot about. That's relatively quick, full of vitamins and micronutrients. And there's many ways you could do that. Like, fruit and eggs, overnight oatmeal, vegan power style. You could do a protein smoothie or something like that with a bunch of cool stuff in there. Greens powder, protein powder, hemp seeds, chia seeds, whatever. But like you dial that in, 
Like if you were having, that's like one third of your meals are just like knocked out, good to go. You enjoy it. So like it creates a lot of consistency. And the thing I love about creating standardized first meals is let's say last night it didn't go great. You know, you went out, maybe you had a glass of wine or maybe you ate a little something you shouldn't have had. The next day you have a behavioral hook to get back on track so that small drifts can be small drifts when it comes to nutrition. It's okay to not eat healthy for a half of a day. But when that tail spins into like, I've been off the bland for weeks and I feel guilty, like that's where you get in trouble. So standardizing the first meal of the day is huge. To get before that though, I think when you get up in the morning, I'm a huge believer in people rehydrating 20 to 32 ounces of water, um, add in some minerals if you can, because that's like a really, really important thing for energy and all these biochemical processes to get the water in. Um, and then I guess I believe for lunch too, is an opportunity to standardize. Like a lot of our clients eat healthy sandwich recipes, believe it or not. Like we're not like huge on the, on the keto per se. I think it can work for people if they enjoy that. But like, I also know a thousand percent, you can eat the right kinds of carbs in the right portions and still be fine in terms of weight loss. So people make a sandwiches on like a organic bread, like Ezekiel bread. People make salads with some protein on top, like simple things. And then I also think it's it's important for people to actually have healthy snacks that are like bought, thought about, and like booby trapped around the house, the car, wherever. Because like that time between noon and six, people get in a lot of trouble. Like people have a lunch and then they don't eat until dinner or whatever. Like that's six hours. Like you either don't eat anything and you go into dinner starving or you didn't plan and then you get reactive and you have snacks if you're at the office or you go ahead and you stop at the convenience store on the way home and you get something like that's where a lot of people mess up. So my thing is like, if we know these are the roadblocks in the road, how do we smooth them out? Well, if we had apple and nuts or something like that, or if we had a quality protein butter that doesn't suck or a protein shake or some jerky or something, you know, there that we know is like a go-to snack. Again, we just set ourselves up for massive success. And then when I think it comes to dinner, like I believe that we can have tons of variety, like what the family eats is fine. Like we teach this concept of, of dinner called the perfect plate, or if you think of like a big plate, clean plate of food, if you fill half of that plate with some kind of fibrous veggie you love, and when I mean fibrous, I don't mean potato and corn, like that's more of a carbohydrate, but any kind of like asparagus, side salad, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, collards, like whatever you like, any kind of veggie you like on the side, half the plate, a quarter protein, a quarter carbohydrate. If your plate looks like that, those plates are almost always 500 to 700 calories. Like you'd be hard pressed to change, to do that, like to, to make it any different. And that's a way to kind of control calories and portions without thinking too much about it. So that's like a high level. I guess it, what it comes down to is like the key is not trying to get super, super technical on how many macronutrients you should have this or that, or this kind of vitamin. It's to create a sustainable system that you can like work every single day and, and get some momentum going. So with your, your background in uh, neuroscience too, because we're talking a lot about behavioral modification sure. here. So um, kind of like you're rewiring somebody's neural pathways and how they actually live from one day to the next, which yes. I think for most of us is pretty much on uh, on autopilot. Uh, we yes. just kind of do, I guess you're kind of talking about automating here too, but yes. just in a different, just in a different way. But you know, the, the way that most, most of us kind of live here is just kind of like on the, on the, on the track that was put on, we were put on by somebody yes. else, you know, just kind of by how we, we were raised. Joe DeSena from Spartan mm -hmm. has talked a lot about this, how he had to really completely overhaul his brain 
to mm-hmm. get to become the man that he is today because of how he was raised in his neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He saw there was all kinds of things that were just not great for you, like just, mm-hmm. you know, pastas and breads and wines mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. All the, you know, kind of almost stereotypical Italian-American meal, yep. a diet that you can you can eat. Mm-hmm. And he he had to really work hard to really kind of reprogram his brain and to find other things that he would fuel his body with that would actually get him um, to where he wanted to be. Yes. So is that, um, how do you work with people in terms of like behavioral modification? Because I can tell you from a trainer, that is probably the hardest thing that you're ever going to run into when you're working with somebody. Cause you are working with human beings after all. For sure. Yeah. And which means behavioral modification is, is working on a couple levels of, of our being and our aspect. Like one that we need to recognize is it's working on the deep emotional aspects of our brain the subconscious and our limbic system. Well, if we're talking about the brain itself, where like we have this higher brain, the, the neocortex, the frontal cortex uh, that is giving us like executive function. It's, it allows us to plan. That's the part that says, this is what I want to do. I want to hire a trainer. I want to eat healthier food and all that stuff. And then the deeper level of the brain, like the limbic brain, that more emotional aspect of the brain that has all of our fears, our desires, our insecurities, our more primal drives. And those things are underneath the consciousness that are oftentimes bubbling up in terms of certain thoughts and patterns. So we are working on all these deep levels. So like both the, the, the higher brain and the internal brain, as well as our environment, like what is our actual environment that we're navigating through? This is our home. This is our office. This are the people around us. So these are the different elements that we need to basically work with when it comes down to behavior change. Now, when we have anyone start our programs, one way we, we do to not just work on like the plan and the higher brain to get more into the limbic emotional brain is we have them go through like a very deep and profound journaling slash like we call it a mission statement exercise where they get super clear on like why they actually want to make a health change. And they get into obviously what their deep reasons are for living healthy, what their core values in life are. So someone may say, you know, my values in life are, I want to be a great dad. You know, I want to have good connection with my spirituality. I want to be a valuable member of my community. Uh, I want to really pursue my passions and feel like I'm following things through in life. And I want to be financially successful. Maybe those are five things that someone might say. And now we really start to look at like how their current behaviors with their health are positively or negatively affecting all those areas in life. Like, how is your current health affecting your ability to be a dad? How is it affecting your ability to show up and make money at work? How is it affecting your feeling of alignment in your spirituality? And what we're trying to do is take something like health that often feels like it's its own silo. Like people think like their fitness is over here and the rest of their life is over here and start to show them that it's a collapsed thing that it's all one game and to start to gain some, I guess, new neuro associations, new psychological leverage. We also look at like what will happen, the pain if you don't make a change, like you're going to go down the path of how your parents went down. You're going to get some kind of disease potentially. Like we need to amplify the pain because the human psychology has a bias for like short-term thinking. Like we just do. We don't have a great long-term thinking. Like we do all sorts of stuff that's like pleasurable in the short term. We know is bad in the long term, but we just are not wired to want to have that kind of long-term bias. So we got to start to like really bring that to light and and ultimately create like a powerful statement for why we want to change. And I guess that that stands as like a container for then getting into the dojo on a daily basis and then working the plan. So once you get this system in place and you have a standardized breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner, you've scheduled your three workouts per week. You have your water bottle that you're doing. Now, every day you basically show up into the dojo of your life and get to training. 
and you see like what that. works and what doesn't. Sometimes days go great and you learn some things. Other times stuff comes up and you're like, holy crap, that was terrible. And then you get to learn and then you get to sharpen, then you get to grow. So it's like the change happens through trial by fire. But how you actually get to be successful is, is getting that deep heart connection, having a clear plan, starting to work it and ideally being surrounded by structure that gives you more support. So this could be your trainer. This could be a community of people that gives you a little bit of like added power uh, to stay on track because inevitably there's going to be the roadblocks. And what I find is like, it's kind of like launching a rocket into space where you need a lot of like fuel and power to get through the gravitational pull. So that's like the first one, two, three months. But after a while, like once you start to like get some of that confidence and competence and like you're cruising, you have a little bit of momentum, then it's like you're just making like smaller pivots and you can have this. I mean, I'm sure for you with how long you've been doing this kind of like training stuff, you're dialed in. You have insane momentum. You have no stuff that works for you and you're at a different level of the game now. But like, how do you get a client to that? Well, they have to go through these layers of the stratosphere. It's not easy. But if you get the plan, the accountability and the heart connection, you have a chance to do it. Um, and, and then when things get tough, you just need to come back to the fundamentals. It's like, OK, I got to reconnect with why I'm doing this. So, again, you come back to connecting with the psychology and then, you know, refresh the workouts, maybe do something different and then find out where the nutrition gaps are and fix those. So I know easier said than done for sure. This is yeah. why we have half of people still struggling overweight or obese. But I'll tell you, like I've helped, like you said, tens of thousands of people over 40 transform. And so it is possible. It's just not easy. So, I mean, okay. So, all right. Well, obviously we're talking about very complicated stuff here too. And it's probably, you know, we, it's no doubt harder on the client than it is for us yeah. because, you know, if we're just kind of putting ourselves in their position here, you're talking about somebody who's 50 years old and has never known the how to live any other way than the way that they currently are here. Um, now, when you're talking about like writing out this manifesto journaling, mm -hmm. which I'm a big advocate of, I journal mm -hmm. every single night. Mm -hmm. It's I've been doing that consistently for years now. And so it, it does help out a lot. But if you really want to make effective change here, you have to kind of, a lot of people will give you just sort of BS answers. Yeah. You ask, you ask them, you know, what do you want out of this? They'll give you this, the surface level answer, which is, you know, I want to lose weight, you know, you know, or you ask them why you're here. Well, I want to lose weight. Okay. Well, that is a, what, that's not a why mm -hmm. tell me why you're here. So, you know, like you said, there's layers here. You got to kind of cut through here. Yeah. And how often do you run into people here? I just want people listening here to kind of get an idea about what this is really. How often do you really run into people here who just sort of give you the surface level answers, but then never really kind of tap into why they're actually talking to you in the first place? Yeah, I mean, it, it does happen. It does happen often. If I had to give you like a percentage of people, maybe like 25% of people like stay surface. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I mean, and, and I think maybe, maybe the reason that that number is like a lower for us is that typically when the people come into our process, they've already like paid money. They've yeah. already looked at like something and they've like already said, like, I'm committed. So like there's a level of buy in already to the point where we're seeing them and then they're like going through this exercise. But there's some people that half ass it. And like, I think when people stay on the surface level, the cost of that is ultimately they just don't have as much emotional juice and power. And it's like, if you just want to feel like you just want to lose some weight or just like look a little bit better, 
Like that's not, unfortunately, it's not going to be very motivating in a month when work is super stressful and you know, that workout is scheduled and you just don't want to do it. You're just not going to do it, you know, during that time. But mm. if you're like, holy crap, I want to be here so I can actually walk my daughter down the aisle and I want to make sure that I'm not a financial burden on my family. And I actually want to make sure I have a good enough health that I can do this one crazy dream where I could ride the motorcycle across country. I've always wanted to do like that might be motivating enough to be like, damn it. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to get, go downstairs, get the dumbbells and do 20 minutes instead of 40, but I'm going to get something in. Right. I mean, right. Th this, so right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of it, right? This is why we're all, we're all the own, own heroes of our journey. And mm -hmm. I'll say one more thing is the people who succeed, they tend to like be immersive into fitness. Like they're not dabblers. It's kind of like right. you want to learn a language. You move to Spain, you learn Spanish. Where it's like here, like if you want to get into fitness and you're over 40, like oftentimes the people who succeed, they like, they make this like the thing. They connect deeply why this is an area they want to pour into. They start reading and learning and soaking up all other things and they make this a priority in your life. And the cool hmm. thing is if you make this a priority in life for like six months to one year, you can make such insane changes that can last with you for the rest of your life. But the intensity typically is correlated very strongly with the results. How often do you have people come to you? You don't have to quote the exact figure, but how often do you have people come to you who come in with actual, well, like you, with who have very tragic stories behind why they're doing what they're doing here? Because I did watch your video on your website when you were talking about you know the background of Fit Father mm -hmm. and your father's premature death. Um, and one thing I will say I did notice is here is that you know you started off the video, you're very very chipper, mm -hmm. very chipper, you know, it's, and you're, you're talking very enthusiastically about your program. And then once you started getting into your father and your father's seizure and his subsequent diagnosis and his ultimate death here, I did notice your, your voice did drop a couple octaves. Like your voice was changing as you were going through this. It was not hugely noticeable, mm -hmm. but it was noticeable. So I could see that how that even at this point in your life, that's still just mm -hmm. is a very commanding memory mm -hmm. in your life. So is that very common where people come to you where it's just kind of like, you know, I saw this happen to my dad or my mom. I'm scared to death. It's going to happen to me. It just came out of nowhere for him. There's nothing to say. It won't come. It won't happen to me too, you know, or this is my last chance. I don't know what else to do if this doesn't work. You know, is that pretty common? Super common, although I'd say it's not as common that people are like as proactive. It's not as t like, well, we have some people who see their parents get diabetes, Alzheimer's, dementia, like diagnoses. And they're like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm noted. And then it's like, and I'm noticing that my mind's not as sharp as it used to be. Like, I got to make some changes to something. Right. Or it's, I went to the doctor and I have, they want to put me on another BP medication or cholesterol medication. That's not fun. Or it's like, I just realized I feel like absolute crap and I can't keep up with my grandkids at all. I'm always winded all the time. It's typically rooted in some amount of personal pain or the experience of just how far they've drifted. Um, or it's like a big life shakeup experience. Like people are having relationship struggles or financial struggles and they have to take that whatever, whatever earth shattering thing gets them to like take that long look in the mirror and be like, holy crap how did I even get here? It's like that wake up moment of like, 
just shaking it all off. Like what, what, how, how did I just get here? And I think when we're kind of like fish in water, when we just are around, surrounded by people who are also unhealthy, or we're all just like our spouse is unhealthy or unhealthy just becomes the normal. We're just kind of like going through this until there's some kind of sharp pain that kind of wakes us up a little bit. Now that's not everyone's story, but humans are in our psychology motivated more by pain than by pleasure. So it's, right. it's uh, oftentimes the pain wakes us up. Right, right. Well, I mean, for your own father, though, you mentioned that, you know, he was very fit, you know, mm -hmm. at least on the on, on the outside of it. He worked out a lot. You you met you recounted you watched him work out. Yeah. And you remember thinking how amazing he looked, you know, mm -hmm. he looked like a superhero. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, this diagnosis, mm -hmm. which I, I guess was completely undetected. It was until until he, until had, he had a seizure. Yeah. Until he had a seizure. So. I guess I guess it's kind of like, well, you know, if you can do all the right things and still be struck down like that, then how how do you really get ahead of this at all? That's life, man. I think that's yeah. like a that's an overall arching philosophy, right? I mean, like I think right. we can look at we can be, take that and go kind of nihilistic and be like, well, you know, this it could be anything, but sure. I, I but also like you could we could also just see that I, I, what I see is like my dad's life is still propagating through me, which is now propagating through all the people that are changed through fit father. So like we're creating goodness out of tragedy. And maybe that is a truism out of life is we can use the fodder of pain and transform it into something else. Sometimes it's our pain. Sometimes it's other people's pain, but either way we have this like transmutation aspect. And, but that's also where like the most meaningful stuff comes from, in my opinion, like Yes, we're talking about fitness after 40, after 50, after 60. But like what we're really talking about is the process of someone tackling at an, a later stage in life, something that they deeply want to, to look and feel healthy and going through the process, the hero's journey of transforming, which is tremendous in effort. And then feeling on the other side, this feeling of like, holy crap, I did this. I can't believe I feel this good compared to what I felt a year ago. And that like... They went through this, quite frankly, I would say a spiritual process too, because the process of getting the body right means you must confront the things you're addicted to. You must confront the laziness inside. You must create more alignment, mind, body, spirit. And so that's what I, I think this is such profound work because it's not just working on the body. It's working on the, the whole being, the whole person, creating more alignment, more energy, uh, more integrity, if you will, too. So um, that's why this is just like, really important stuff. It just, the body's the dojo that we get to experience all these different kinds of emotions and victories and triumphs and all that. Yeah. I like the way you, you uh, use the, the dojo analogy here, mm -hmm. because one thing that martial arts um, practitioners do emphasize and have been for centuries is that, you know, human beings are inherently chaotic mm -hmm. and are inherently just kind of, unless they're, they're just, they just, they just are what they are. I mean, they're, they are an animal like any other, and we we are working towards a way of trying to uh, give structure and give order to where there really really isn't any. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I like the the dojo of life analogy that you use there too. Um, do you think that had your father not died prematurely, that you'd be doing what you're doing now? Be maybe not fit father necessarily, because I think a lot of that is, is obviously inspired. Um, mm -hmm. but do you think, do you honestly think that you'd be doing what you're doing now? I'd have to say no. I mean, like, 
I don't know how like it is. It's like, that's a really interesting and tough question to answer. Right. Because like, I think my, my passion for fitness was ignited by what I witnessed in my father and my response to like healing that pain, which I found physical and exercise was, I mean, before my dad passed, like I was an athlete, you know, and like I would have been middle school at that time. Like I was a good middle school athlete, but who knows like what that would have turned into if anything, you know, or, or what are the other interests I would have pursued? You know, I, I think I was a physical guy, so I would have gotten into some degree of fitness, but I don't think I would have created this tremendous story that mm-hmm. I did the story that I am healing from my dad by becoming strong and fit. And then that gave me this early sense of confidence. And then I could help people in this area that I got good at from a young age. And then that propelled me into the fitness and all this thing. So I kind of leapfrog from all these different stepping stones. I'd have to say no, you know, I, I'd certainly I'd be exercising to some extent, but I'd probably be pursuing um, something different where he's still alive. Also, I'm sure he would have had a much bigger influence on maybe like the topics that he would have, you know, pushed me to pursue based on his background, which is a little more in like finance and business. Whereas like I got mm-hmm. the opportunity to kind of forge my own path. So we're always uh, kind of like creating these stories. Um, good question. I'd say no, though. Uh, I, one thing I did want to ask um, is about uh, naturopathic medicine. I'm not too clear on what that really means. So, so what, what is naturopathic medicine? Yeah, because I think you're. It's funny because you're in um, you are in Iowa, right? Right. That's so correct. Not the naturopaths are not licensed in Iowa. So in the United States, there are three accredited medical degrees. You can be an MD medical doctor. We all know who they are. A DO, which is a a doctor of osteopathy. They also sometimes work in hospital settings. They just have a slightly different training track. Um, There's actually four then doctors of chiropractic DCs. And then there's naturopaths or NMDs or in certain states as NDs. So here in Arizona, um, naturopaths have one of the broadest medical scopes of practice. Um, you know, I think right around the same thing as MDs, we don't do anything with chemotherapeutics, but we receive training in medical school in a very holistic way. It's kind of like an East meets West combination. So we get all the pharmaceutical training, but we also get acupuncture, spinal manipulation, herbal medicine, and some other cool stuff as well. Um, and so we kind of practice, it's, it's more of like a philosophy based medicine that's based in a couple key tenets. It's like one, we believe that prevention is the best cure Two, that the body has something called a vice, which is its natural inborn intelligence to heal. And it's the physician's job to not like cure the patient, but to be a director of helping stimulate that vital force in the patient. So the therapeutics are not as much like this is fixing you, but it's like we are creating conditions through which your body can heal itself. Um, and, and it's a like kind of holistic paradigm of, of how to treat people. Now, hmm. like, what does it look like when you go see a naturopath? I mean, like, it, it's very similar. You typically, typically most naturopaths are cash based or like private practice. So oftentimes the visits are longer than the traditional, like, five, 10, 15 minutes, but it's routine lab work. And that could mean you get a pharmaceutical medication. Like if you have a infection, you could very well, naturopaths might prescribe an antibiotic, but there's a lot of other approaches that they may take that are not just taking a pharmaceutical where naturopathic medicine really shines is in chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. Like let's be real. Like the, the solution to high cholesterol is not taking a statin medication. That is a bandaid to a deeper problem to take like Crestor to lower your cholesterol. Like the solution is implementing a holistic lifestyle plan that's going to help you eat better, move better, 
maybe supplement with the right kinds of things and all and all that. Like naturopathic medicine is designed to help chronic disease. And right now I think obesity, diabetes, heart disease, metabolic syndrome, neuro neuro decline, like naturopathic medicine is very prime for that. And I think in the United States, maybe about half the states are licensed for naturopaths. So it's definitely like a little more fringe, um, you know, and I think it's also the cool thing is we're also seeing a, 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 a coalescence right now in the medical field where a lot of the traditional MDs are pulling in a ton of these like naturopathic principles on like diet and gut health and circadian rhythm. And we're now just calling it functional medicine and yeah. putting really cool diagnostics on it. So all this stuff's coming together. And the fact is there's beautiful from all different disciplines and we'll use the martial arts. There's like a mixed martial arts is pulling disciplines from all these different things naturopaths are a brand of this MDs are a brand of this and like medicine is ultimately what what works and what helps people but it's holistic focused and it really aligns with my background with nutrition exercise supplementation um and we have at least in arizona really strong prescription rights too gotcha gotcha yeah i just wanted to clear because i thought i you know i was thinking over i was i thought i had understood what that was but then i realized no i really don't get it so that's that's interesting i did i wasn't uh, one, I wasn't aware that it was a thing. And two, I wasn't aware <laughs> that it's not actually a thing in half the country. So yeah, no, but that's, there's that's a, really cool. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of politicking around that. That's a deep, well, deep sure. topic, but on the West coast, it's pretty funny. West coast and Southwest, it's pretty big <laughs> in Northeast. It's pretty big down like the East coast. And then in middle of America, certain States, not quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, maybe they will be the next in line. Who knows? But, um, <laughs> So, uh, Fit Father Project, huge thing. It's transforming lives. So, what to, where to from here? What's next? Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a dad now. Um, mm -hmm. So, it, it has a lot more weight to what that means. Um, so, I guess, like, personally, is to continue to walk the walk and to, to be a good leader and steward of this community. Um, I want to reach more people. I think one of the cool things about how we set this up is it's like an online community, online program. And like, what, I want to double, triple, like so many more people to come through, because let's be honest, there are tens of millions in the United States of people that like need help in the over 40, we need to get healthy. So I guess like expand the mission. Um, and I think doing things that will help expand the mission were, is, is, is I do want to write a book. I think it'd be a nice way to kind of package and get that out to the world. I want to travel around and speak and like communicate with people and, and help to inspire more people that it is possible. Um, and as I raise my daughter too, is to to pull out some of these lessons that I've learned about how to help kids get healthier too. And because and, I think they, you know, one thing is like, in a sense, Fit Father is helping unwind the problems that people have developed over many years of bad living. But I think yeah. there's the, the more proactive way is like, how do we help kids figure out this stuff from an earlier age so they don't have to unwind their their shit in like 20 years. Mm -hmm. And we have a kind of sick culture right now where like, you know, like you said, the sugar, let alone like, so for example, my wife, my daughter and I, we actually went to a little like local hotel to have a, like just a little getaway this last weekend. And we went to like the breakfast buffet and like the kid's corner of the breakfast buffet is like legitimately, it had a wall of donuts that kids were pulling off there. It's like breakfast cereal juices. There was like just absolute garbage. And that's like just the the norm of what we consider yeah. to be kids food. Look at a kid's food menu. It's chicken fingers, pizza, fries, you know, grilled cheese, you know, it's, that's yeah. a deep topic, but I guess how do we help kids live healthier too? Right. 
was something I'm very passionate about. Right. And it's interesting you say that too, because just yesterday I was speaking to a gentleman, we're talking about fitness, you know, beyond 50. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about now that we are, we're kind of a a very uh, kind of paradoxical time in this country where, you know, people are technically living longer than they ever have before. And their quality of life is better than it ever has been before in human history, at least mm-hmm. in, in the first world. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but we have like more phobias and, you know, more yeah. cases of ne- neurosa um, mm-hmm. and illnesses than ever, than ever before here. And now, you know, we're talking about people getting, living better as they age now they're 50 and plus but now we have this new generation and you know me and me and be after me too mm-hmm. they're coming out they're getting sicker earlier mm-hmm. you know getting diagnosed a lot of times even we're having cases where you know people who are still in their 30s getting diagnosed with you know uh, parts of dementia for sure and things like that and heart disease like like official heart disease and needing to go under the knife and things like that for it so as good as things are, it seems like we're on track here to kind of like uh, regress backward a little bit here because the next generation that's coming up is a lot sicker, a lot sooner yeah. than ever before, you know? For sure. And our food is killing us. Our environment is killing us. I'm going to be straight. I'm not going to make no, no qualms about that. Like not only is our food high in sugar and in inflammatory fats and just general garbage, there, there is a lot of environmental toxicants like pesticides, which we know like glyphosate, which is one of the most common pesticides sprayed on wheat that destroys your gut microbiome, which influences your brain and your neurotransmitter production and your immune system, right? We know we have atrazine, which is sprayed on a lot of these uh, corn, soy, rice products, like is an endocrine disruptor. The newborn babies born today, you can Google this afterwards if you don't believe me, are born with over 200 different identifiable industrial chemicals in the umbilical cord. These are things that are just flame retardants, plastics, different kinds of things in our cleaning products. Like we are living in a complex world right now. And they're also finding like water supplies that people are having like locally now. You can test this on ewg.org forward slash tap water and type in your zip code. Like there's all sorts of crazy stuff in our tap water. It's just like we have a, yes, in a certain sense, we have a lot of modern luxuries. I I think I saw a stat that it's expected, at least, and this is from the UK. I think UK Daily Mail uh, published this, that they expect by 2050, 50% of people in the UK are going to have a cancer diagnosis. Like, come on now, right? This is like, it's not the natural progression of the human just to get cancer. It is that we are having things that are totally destroying our immune system, our triggers for DNA damage that our body cannot repair. Um, and I think it's multifactorial, not to completely get uh, my tin uh, my tin foil hat on right now, but like, <laughs> like, but like look, it, there's, there's a ton of aspects of stuff that's going around now and not the leech of which is like, we also are electrifying our environment more than ever before with non-native electromagnetic fields from our phones, uh, you know, coupled with the food, coupled with the fact we're disconnected from the light and the proper circadian rhythm. And we're more stressed than ever in weird ways because we're not getting outside connected to nature playing. We're glued to these phones. We're, we're going into a very unnatural state right now, and we're going to pay the price massively. And that's going to be in earlier diagnoses, health issues for, for younger people. I mean, childhood diabetes did not exist 50 years ago. It just did not. Maybe type 1 did, not type 2. But like you go around right now, if, I dare you go to a water park in the summer. You're going to find at least half, if not three quarters of the young kids are going to be overweight. You know, it's, mm. it's rough. It's, it's rough and it's because of how we're living. 
and the consequences are pretty, pretty severe because like the fat that we wear, it's not just aesthetic, right? I mean, it's, it's, is the body in an inflammatory state? Like what's, what's happening to the, to the brain is the process. So the brain is being bathed in this neurochemical soup of like, that's a byproduct of like what our blood, what's in our blood, how we're eating. Is, is there inflammation? Is there not inflammation? Is there too much blood sugar go, moving around, sticking to things, causing glycated end products and stuff like this? So it's a deep conversation. Um, yeah. And we're going to we're gonna see what happens. We're doing a big experiment right now yeah. on, on many fronts. Yeah, it's a deep conversation. And it sounds like a big, big, scary problem here. But it can be, it can be remedied. Do For you us believe individually, that? right? Yeah. I mean, like all we can do here is not like, like it is what it is in terms of like a global society. But at the same time, the beautiful thing is we have all the resources and all the knowledge right now to live healthy and it doesn't need to break the go. bank. Like mm -hmm. if you have, if you can take on some personal power and say, this is the sovereignty and what I want to create with my life and my family and my home and, and like, and live well. And these are the reasons why. You can be the healthiest that you possibly could ever be in today's day and age because you have access to so many great resources right. and, and you could live a really long, happy life. So I'm not trying to be super negative and fear mongering. I'm just kind of calling it how it is. And I think if anything, that could be motivating. It's even more of a reason to like take this stuff seriously. Right. Yeah. I, and that's just what I want to get at here, too, because all this stuff and I feel like a lot of people probably agree with you that they probably don't know all the details that, you know, but they probably agree with you that this stuff is just everywhere and it's so pervasive. And they probably do notice a lot of the same things, mm -hmm. too. When you go you go to a pool in the summer and it's not just the kids. Yeah, it's, it's you know, you look around and you will see people who are very obviously unhealthy and yeah. out of shape and. You know, I'm not trying to body shame people. I don't believe in doing that. Yeah. But, you know, if you're looking for physical evidence, <laughs> there it is. Mm -hmm. um, and it's no more obvious. But but at the same time, people really feel, well, this stuff is just what am I supposed to do? I mean, you want me to just kind of re just recoil from society and live out in the middle of the woods and just kind of completely remake my world. I mean, I don't know how to respond to that. So that's just kind of what I was getting at here yeah. too. You know, it's like, well, if you can take a, a personal measure on your own yeah. and you don't, and you don't have to go full Unabomber. Yeah. You, you can, you can just take these little steps and you can, um, you can be your own solution. You can right? take control of your food, take control of your movement, start to hydrate, focus on your sleep. Like if we did even the basic stuff that we kind of covered at a high level in today's conversation, three, three formal workouts a week, walk every single day, drink yeah. a lot of water and like, and try to dial in and standardize those first two meals of the day and eat reasonably healthy at dinner. Like you are already doing 85% of the stuff. And the cool thing is 85% when it comes to this health stuff is good enough. You're going to be moving forward in the right direction. Like right. the whole idea of get rid of perfect, but be, be get into the consistency game and, and you'll see your body change. But I think the first thing you often see change is your energy and your just overall mm -hmm. mood. And, and that's like really what gives you the zest of life and, and good taking care of your body gives you a healthy mind and a healthy mind helps it make it easier to take care of your body. So these things are so connected. Right. Right. And be willing to be a little crazy. Yeah. Be willing to be think, uh, well, you know, that's a little weird. You know, park your car a little farther away from your office. You know, yeah. park it down, park it down the street, you know, take the stairs instead of the elevator. Yeah. You know, that, that, that kind of stuff. Little things add up here. For sure. Dr. Balduzzi, we have a closing um, ritual or closing okay. tradition on this program. 
And I think you've already done it maybe quite a few times already, but just to formalize it, um, we have the guests give the listeners some parting words, one thing to, uh, to remember, or possibly two. If they could remember nothing else, what would you like them to remember? Okay. It's more important than you know to deeply reflect and connect to your reasons why you want to be healthy, your deepest reasons. And I'd say like, if you actually are listening to this podcast for pretty much the full hour up to this point, like my actual action step for you is today, get out a journal or maybe lay down and close your eyes and deeply reflect on why your health is so important. What are your core values? What do you actually really value most in life? How is your health connected to all of that? Like, what is the great vision of what you want to experience and look like when you're 70, when you're 80, maybe even when you're 90? What do you want to be able to experience? And what is the cost of not investing in your health? If you connect to that profoundly and you keep on asking yourself, why do I want this? Why do I want this? Get deeper and deeper. You're going to get to like the core of your essence. You're going to get to like the core things that you hold is true. And when you connect to those and build your life and your health around those, you're going to have this well of motivation that you can continue to tap into. And then the other thing I'll say is like, as as complicated as this often can seem, what we're really doing is every day, you and I, all of us, we wake up and we have a fresh new day. It's always this clean slate where we get to take some habits, take some actions, get on with the rhythm of our lives. And I'm going to say this, get up in the morning, drink a big old glass of water with a pinch of some Himalayan sea salt in there. Start your day off like that as a little bit of like, boom, today is a new day. Here's some good water and start to get into that flow and that mindset of like, I'm going to make this a good day. Ideally, you get that standardized breakfast in to continue that really consistent momentum and then just work on making good choices today. And look, if yesterday didn't go great, today is a fresh new day. And if yesterday did go great, stack that momentum. We're always in the game of just stacking momentum, stacking momentum. And when you do that, it becomes a really fun game. And when it becomes a fun game and you enjoy it and you start to feel great, that positive momentum is not going to just affect you. It's going to affect your family and everyone's going to be better for it. So um, this is a, this is a powerful and beautiful process. And, uh, again, thank you, Sean, for having me on today. Thank you as well. And I'll just, I'll just add my own little thing to that too. Like I mentioned earlier, I journal every single night and when you're journaling, it's so important that you be honest about what your thoughts are. So be in a room by yourself. It's quiet. <laughs> if you're struggling, then be honest when you're right. I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. I hate life. I hate my life. This sucks. I had a shit day, you know, I, I've, I've noticed that I've caught myself being reluctant to write stuff like that. Not that I hate my life, but writing stuff like that, that is deeply personal, sometimes to the point of being embarrassing, like catching myself. Do I want you to write this? Even though there's no one around me, no one's going to read this, at least not while I'm alive, you know, no one's going to read this, but I find myself being hesitant to write that kind of thing out. Cause I just, I don't want to make it real by putting it on paper, but it's so important that you do that. You know? Yeah. It's honesty, right? Getting real, getting real right. about where we're at, what we want, what we're experiencing, and then the willingness to show up the next day and, and mm -hmm. work on making it a little bit better or, or seeing right. things a little bit differently. Right. Exactly. Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. 
All right. And those of you listening, you know what to expect. All the contact information will be in the show notes here, um, the website, everything else. Uh, you have your own podcast as well. Is that correct? Yeah, we have the Fit Father podcast and then fitfatherproject.com right. or anywhere on YouTube is a great place to find us. And we have Fit cool. Mother Project too for the ladies who might be listening. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, uh, you can check that out here too. I'll actually put a link to the Fit Father podcast in the show notes as well. So you can listen to that. But um, again, thank you so much for showing up. Uh, thank you to everyone who has listened, everyone who ever will listen. This is the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean. I'll see you next time. Until then, move forever. Peace out, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments, cancel anytime. Every little bit helps, and I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace.